And so we're talking about kingdom culture at the moment. If you've not been with us, uh, we spent the first couple of weeks talking about what is kingdom culture. What is it to be the kingdom? And obviously, it has to have a king, a king, Lord Jesus, who brings about a new story. And this story is good news of the gospel. And this gospel news is the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. And this kingdom that is transforming worlds, 2,000 years later, we're seeing the echoes of God transforming. Even secular writers of recent times have observed that Jesus' death, life, death, and resurrection, life, 2,000 years has been the most transformative moment in history. Atheists are saying this. Whether they believe it or not, this has transformed our world. And we've talked about a people, a people that will repent and believe with all of their hearts, and a kingdom that reigns with compassion. That as we teach, as we proclaim, as we heal, as we bring about spiritual warfare, it's with compassion and is the root of what we do. And we asked, and Matthew 10 is where we've been. So if you want to turn your Bibles already to Matthew 10, um, we have been in the idea of Matthew 10 what does it mean for kingdom culture to exist? We talked firstly about community. Community is the bedrock for the kingdom culture. Before we confess, before we cast out that demon, before we do any healing, community is bedrock. Community is the foundation for revival to break out. And then we looked at last week the simplicity of heart. So often we're pulled in so many different directions. And God says, I want you in community, but I want your gospel message to be a purity of heart, a simplicity, a focus on what I desire for the kingdom to come about. Amen? Just check and see we're good here this morning. And so uh, we're going to carry on this message here today. Um, This is a tougher message. I want to pre-warn you. I did say to the team this morning, I said, if, if God wants to extend worship, let it happen. You know, as a pastor, you're like, this message, I'm like, God, if there is any sign from above that this message does not need to be preached, go for it, let it go. But then the final song, Build My Life, just really affirmed, what are we building our life upon? And God really wants to affirm that here today. And so today, actually, something I would love for us to get into Um, something that God has been put on my heart for a while and actually was just reaffirmed by being in some different church cultures. Uh, Just the the reverence for the Word. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read the Word together. Now, we do that because we honor it with our body. Maybe you've come from traditions where standing with the Word feels religiosity, and we want to break that um, because we believe that we honor not with just our ears, but we honor with our body here today. So would you stand with me as we read the Word together? And so we are found in Matthew 2 passages, Matthew 5 and Matthew 10 we're going to read. So it says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 10. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. 
and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Welcome to church. Let's pray this morning. Father, we just thank you for your word that lives inside of us, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you for the revelations that you give us through this living, breathing word. You are the word, and the word existed before the foundations of the earth. And we know that it is trustworthy. It is good for us today. But Lord, this is a difficult message to hear. And Lord, we don't want to skip over those messages. We want to sit in them, in the uncomfortability We invite the uncomfortability into our hearts this morning, knowing that it is a good Father that speaks these words to make us more stronger in you, Holy Spirit. We invite you, Holy Spirit, in this moment. Make us aware of your presence. Open our ears, eyes, hearts, and minds to what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. So I remember as a teenager... Um, I don't know about you, but growing up in the church, we had people, missionaries that would come. My church in England was very missional sense. We supported a lot of missionaries around the world, which was really exciting to hear the stories of what God was doing in other cultures. But then we'd hear these stories of the martyr stories, these people that were in oppressed areas like China, in the Middle East, And we would hear these stories of oppression happening. And as a teenager, it captivated your heart. Um, There was a a one story, uh, Brother Yun, his name was, from China, a really famous revivalist preacher. And uh, he told his story at 17, he had an encounter with God, and this was in China, communist in 1970s. And so to preach the word or to even confess that Jesus' Lord was imprisonment. And so at 17 years old, he went into prison. He was there, uh, kept in a cold place, no heater during the snow, but somehow God looked after him. And it was a supernatural experience because he had been in prison for three times. The first time, it was almost like a Paul and Silas moment. The prison doors opened and he walked out. He would then go back another two more times. On his third time, they got wind of this God that was moving and decided we're going to break his legs. And so this time they broke his legs. They would electrocute him. They would punish him in every which way. But the God of comfort was with him every step of the way. And the third time he walked out of the prison again to be released. And he is in Germany. He came and he begins to preach the gospel. You can YouTube him. I've heard him in person. He is a phenomenal man of God. Another story that I remember so well was a a Russian preacher And with Russia at the moment, in its conflict, it's sad to see because there are good Russians. There are good men and women who love Jesus. And there was this one preacher who had uh, not all his fingers. And he told us that every time he would preach the gospel, he knew full well that eventually he would go to prison. And in prison, they would chop a finger off every single time. 
So these men and women would give their lives to the gospel. My friends would hear this very same gospel being preached of people expectant, this joy inside of their hearts that they knew the Savior, the Son of God, and they were giving all their lives to them. And we would hear these stories. Yet my friends who heard the same stories don't follow Jesus today. Today they don't think anything of this Jesus no longer followers. It's like they had two different operating systems. It's like for some people, Jesus is a make it better Jesus mentality. Like Jesus just makes my life better. Like Jesus just enhances my life. He's the back pocket card I have when things aren't going my way, when I need to be blessed, when I need to experience the fullness of life. Jesus is that addition to my life. And when it doesn't work out, maybe Jesus isn't real. Maybe Jesus isn't a thing. Maybe I don't really care about Jesus. And so there's this operation in the Western church that we experience these two operating systems. Um, my friend uh, BJ just sent over a really cool quote that I love from Rich Velodas, who says this, Too many pastors and Christians, especially in the U.S., have been formed by a theology of happiness, convenience, triumphalism, and exceptionism that we have almost no category for suffering lament and weakness. Whether it's charismatic Christians, hand held high, you can't reckon with sickness. Intellectual Christians who only live in their heads or upward mobility of Christians are always lived to the convenience. Many have zero to say because the cross has been misappropriated up to this point. This is true. This is how I experienced Christianity growing up in the church. The cross was all about the forgiveness of my sin. It was about the transformation of my heart. And it was all good things. And it's funny that whenever something bad came into my life, I just assumed that I'd been a bad person or God just maybe didn't love me as much. And so this was happening because of my own faults. And I just need to realign myself, get back to the cross, and everything will be fine again. And in part, that is true for sure. But there is a bigger story going on. The gospel, I want to tell you today, is not neutral. Today, you will move closer to Jesus or further away. That is the challenge that we face every single day. To live the way of Jesus is to live resistance. So how do we grow in this? How do we grow as Westerners in a not-persecuted country, in land and space? How do we walk this out? So Jesus, wonderfully, who promised in Matthew 5, there will be persecution. Joys, right? Good morning, happy birthday, good day, Sunday is here. Johnny, persecution is here and part of Christian walk. You would think healing, forgiveness of sin, eternity of joy would be a no-brainer for everybody. You would think that, right? You would think like, Why doesn't people just get it? It feels good to follow Jesus. It feels good to have peace in my heart, to know a joy, to know a hope everlasting that no matter what happens in this life, that I have eternal security in Him. You would think that message would prevail. But when the church started out in Acts, there was a start to the church, this gospel message of a Jesus that died and rose again, that new life has been formed, that this 120 that formed in the upper room where the Spirit breathed life 
And the very next moment, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. You would think the kingdom of God is at hand. We're going to roll this baby out. We're going to get book marketing on this. We're going to start Facebooking. We're going to get the media on this. This is it. The kingdom of God has arrived. And very soon, they were hit with a quick, swift punch from their own people that you are not right. You are evil. This is not the kingdom. This is not God. And so what happened, persecution would come from the Jewish people, but only Jewish people, the Roman oppressors, because you're saying that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. And so one of the most famous of uh, tyrants of the uh, emperor Caesar is Nero. And Nero, as we know, would set Christians alight as candles. He would fool them with tar and then set them alight. Or he would clothe them in sheepskin and put them into an arena so they could be killed. All for the name that Caesar is greater than this Jesus. Today is no different. Today, from 2000 to 2010, a million people died. Over a million people died to give their life to Jesus. They said that Jesus is Lord, and in their culture, they would be killed for uttering such a name. A million people have died for their faith. 260 million, they estimate, have experienced persecution in this world today. And it's probably maybe many more than that. We experienced in 2015, 21 Egyptians were beheaded by ISIS. To anyone Egyptians who confess that Jesus is Lord and they cut the heads of these men as a kind of uh, show that ISIS is stronger than Jesus. A try to show that God is not truly God. We are God and Jesus is not. We think about also when in Matthew 5 it talks about the persecution. In Matthew 5 it says, Blessed are those who... Uh, when others revile you or persecute you, utter all kinds of evil words against you falsely. So it's not only the physical persecution that we receive, but the verbal utterance of evil towards you. In the early church, the Christians were seen as cannibals because they were eating of Jesus' body and blood. So there's this rumor going around, oh, you're a cannibal. Or the other one was, well, they have these crazy orgies because they kiss each other when they greet and they call each other brother and sister. Something weird must be happening. Today in the West, we are deemed by two words, irrelevant and extreme. I don't know if you've been told that. And maybe in this area, those are two words that you don't really hear too often. But irrelevant because the teachings of Jesus have nothing to say to the modern world. That Jesus is his old had. We've progressed further than that now. We know better. Jesus doesn't know. He had some good teachings which brought us up to this point, but we've gone above Jesus and we know what's best. Or extreme. We're dangerous, harmful, toxic to modern society. Uh, my mom works now. She's retired. She's an evangelist woman. And so she's working in the school systems. She always loved to be that person who was coming alongside Jesus, uh, for Jesus for these students. And so she still has a massive heart for it. But in her interview for this project called STEP, which uh, goes into the schools. They have 13 schools they're in, and they're just confessing the name of Jesus. They have the opportunity to preach the gospel, which is so awesome in the UK. But she, on her interview to check if she was okay, because you've got to do that. You've got to check some Christians before they go into the system. And so they asked her a question, are you extreme? And my mom is not an extreme person. She is like five foot five, nothing, very sweet and very mild-mannered. She's British. Um, and so she was like, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> 
She goes, and then they said, well, do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe in the gospel? Do you believe that the scriptures of truth are true? And she goes, yes, I do. Then you're extreme. Because the world has so shifted away from acts of terrorism uh, from 9-11 and other events where the world is saying that religion is extreme. Religion is not good for this world anymore. We need to push it to the right, into the private, into the space where it cannot operate in this world. And when the world operates that way, when it pushes it to the margins, we will experience persecution. So this message today is not to create fear in you. It's to create awareness around what are we doing in this space. Because the world is going to push you more and more to the margins. We're seeing it on Facebook. We're seeing it in other areas where they don't want to hear the name of Jesus. We've seen this in most recent times um, with Jack Phillips. Many of you would have heard this story back in 2012. Uh, he refused to make a cake for a homosexual couple. And he got all sorts of kickback. It went to courts in Colorado. And in, actually in 2018, it got overturned which is awesome news, that religious freedom, freedom of speech, i.e., is still happening. But on that exact same day, a transgender woman said, I want you to make a cake for me. And again, he said no, and again, he went to courts, but both parties agreed that it was a pointless battle. So there's a real prevalence that is happening in this moment. Christians are to be seen as bigots or stupid. And so there will be persecution. There will be persecution. But why are we persecuted? Why is it that we are persecuted? And the first point I just want to make is because of righteousness. Again, in, in Matthew it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Because of your righteous living. To follow Jesus is to live under his way, his morals. If you align yourself with Scripture... With historical scripture, sexual ethics, you will be persecuted on. That's a reality that we face. Um, we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. We believe um, that you know, all, all the stuff that scripture says about the sexual practices are true. And we want to live by those. And now I would say that we have not as a church done a good job dealing with the LGBTQ community. I would say that because um, in the church, once again this week, we've seen another pastor have a moral failure. Like someone who I deem very highly, um, I've respected him, and he's come out and, and had a sexual relationship outside of marriage um, with a, a younger woman, and it's just happened again. Like there's so many people who I've well respected over these last couple of years that have come out again and again and again, and there's just been this sexual moral failure. Um, also, the judgment that we've made on the LGBTQT uh, people, I think about the Westboro Baptist people who rally their signs about you're going to die, you're going to hell, and they're attacking the personhood, which is not right. Now, we agree that sin is sin and we, we talk against the sin, right? Never the person. We lift and love that person up. And so the moral failure in the church and the action of um, judgment on people have led us to do this. We've told the one story. Jesus doesn't condemn you anymore. Jesus doesn't condemn you, which is so true. Jesus does not condemn you. You can repent. You can turn back to Jesus. But we leave out and go sin no more. 
We leave out the correction that needs to come into the body of Christ. There is such amazing grace and love that Jesus does say, go sin no more. And so we don't fully understand the righteousness of life. We don't understand the purity that it brings, that the life well lived by the gospel, that the, the law is a good thing, that the restraints that are upon our lives actually give us freedom. Because we know that pure freedom is not freedom where we just get to do whatever we want, right? Like that's actually enslavement. But the gospel, the scriptures give us new life. And so maybe for you today as well, you say like, well, actually in Scripture, uh, sorry, Matthew 10, um, it says, you'll be hated for my namesake, which is wildly encouraging in itself, uh, right? You'll be hated, but also it's mentioned in all four Gospels that you'll be hated for my namesake. Jesus makes this claim that he is the only way. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. And so we are in spiritual warfare. And so regardless of how you live, whether you're just a peaceful Christian who tries to don't live, don't rub the wrong way, you will be called into persecution because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, and that costs you something. To even confess that Jesus is Lord of my life, that no other thing in my life is, is to invite persecution into our worlds. So just to encourage you even more today, Matthew 12 says, Rejoice and be glad, for there is a great reward in persecution. Yay. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks, thanks, thanks for that. <laughs> Can we not have the reward and just not do this kind of thing? Can we just enjoy just living in our comfortable life? Because I love comfort. I don't like discomfort. But today we need to go into the discomfort zone. I was chatting with a friend. How many Peloton uh, bike members do we have in the church here? Got one of here too, good people. I love it. I haven't been into it. I think it's really cool. It kind of blows my mind a bit that we're still on a bike with a cool screen, but I've heard there's like a culture behind it. There's a community behind it. And one of them that I, I think is really cool, and I'm actually going to quote one of the instructors. I can't remember their names, but it says, are we going to enter into the discomfort zone today? Are we going to enter into? See, we want to escape the comfort zone, right? But we actually want to enter into the discomfort zone today. Because we don't grow, as Ronald Reishauser says, we don't grow in Disneyland. We grow at the Calvary. Come on. Like, we're not going to grow as Christians. So there is a joy. There is a good thing to be had in this moment. So I want to just pull apart two things quickly of what Jesus means by there is joy. There is a reward in persecution. And so first up, joy of persecution actually causes deep formation. Scripture here, Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Okay, we'll just leave it right there. I just want to know Christ, and I want to know just the power of his resurrection. And for many Christians, we live just with the power of the resurrection, yes and amen. But Paul lives off this other part, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. <laughs> not in his life, not in just the, 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 the up-to-the-right mobility of just enjoyment of the flourishment of life. No. In my death, in my letting go, in my persecution, in my sufferings, I experience him. So the deep formation that happens in ourselves, because I want to tell you a truth here today. 
Christianity is not about a better, better self. Christianity is not about a better self. And what's creeped into Christianity is the self-improvement program. It says that you can, again, the add-on life that Jesus just makes you better and better. No, Scripture talks about into the image of Jesus. That our lives, our formation is to be like Christ. The persecution and suffering of Christ was the very thing that caused victory. We must get this today. Jesus died. Like Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was beaten. Those things undermine the enemy. Because what does the enemy try and do when Satan came to tempt Jesus? What did he offer him? Turn the, bread, the rock into bread. Just have some food. You're hungry quick now. Jump off and show people that you're Jesus. So you're, you're, you're God. You can have all the kingdoms now. And all of those are shortcuts. Because suffering is suffering love. It is long. It is painful. It is slow, can I tell you today. Anyone who's lived any years of Christianity knows that it is a long, slow process. And these are the keys which bring about victory in our lives. Can I get an amen? Like this is what actually does the deep needed work. Nothing is ever won through shortcuts or temptations. And so this gospel went forth and the disciples got hold of this message of a gospel. And in Acts 5, we hear about Peter and John who have been proclaiming Jesus. And the Sadducees come and say, you can't do that. They bring them before them and they flog them. They beat them. And it says in 540 that they walk away rejoicing, considered worthy of the sufferings. Now, as a person that's just beaten someone, that's very confusing. Normally you would think, okay, well, that's going to serve them right. But instead, it only encouraged them. It only brought more joy in their hearts. It only brought more enthusiasm with their hearts as they high-five each other out of the door. Like, that would mess with my mind. What message do they believe? What is in their heart that I don't have? What is causing them to be so sold out for this one thing that a beating has only encouraged them in their walk and not hindered them? Why is this happening? Think about Romans. Romans chapter 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have abstained access and faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God loves, and he poured out him into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. James would also say that you will have many trials, but these trials are going to bring completion. It's going to be pure joy you're going to experience because of the refinement, because of these things inside of us. See, persecution does something that just good times can't do. It's going to refine your heart. You're going to see the pride in your own heart. You're going to understand that you have way too much control in your life and you need to trust Jesus. But there's something else that it does to you that just really struck me yesterday and so I've just kind of added this in today. Another famous passage that I love, Romans 8 is my go-to. If I could take one chapter of the Bible and go to a lonely, like an island by myself, Romans 8 is all you ever need. I love it so much. 
There's this passage that I love, the Romans 8. And actually, as a, as, as a kid growing up, I wouldn't quote the end when I was preaching. Um, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then heirs and heirs and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And growing up, it just didn't make sense to me. Like, why does a good father want me to suffer? Like, I'm heir to a throne and for his kingdom and his goodness, and I believe in yes and amen, but even preachers, I never heard them quote the last part. So provided we suffer. So flip with me to Genesis 32, because I think this is one of the best imageries that I've found of what that kind of means. And this is the story of Jacob. And this crazy story that happens where Jacob is wrestling with God. It says in 22, the same night he arose, he took his two wives and females and servants, children and crossed over. And, Jesus was, and Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Now there's imagery, beautiful imagery we could get into right there where the light comes and the resolve comes. And when the man had saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his socket and Jacob's hip was put out of place. And he continued to wrestle with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. And Jacob said, I will not let go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven, striven with God. You have wrestled with God and have prevailed. And this is the beautiful imagery of what suffering does. Because when we suffer, we bring our fight to God. When you are in trouble, when you experience pain, you bring your wrestling to God. We express our pain to God. And we even said, but God, you could have. God, why didn't you do this? And these things settle in our hearts. But we connect our ache with the ache of the Father. We connect. There's something that suddenly as we begin to understand our own pain, our own sufferings, that suddenly in the healing process, we begin to understand one another better and we begin to understand and see a father's heart who is broken also for the world. We connect the two aches together. And this is the beautiful thing because this is the blessing that we receive as Christians. We gain a new name, Israel, to fight with God. This is the deeper formation. It's not only the formation of your own cutaway crap that you have in your own heart because we are not put together well. We have an evil heart, but God wants to redeem that because we are saved, yet to be saved. Uh, sorry, we have been saved. We are being saved and we are yet to be saved. There is a spiritual formation that's happening. But God says we fight with God. And that's our blessing. Your deep spiritual formation is not just a cutting away, but suddenly you understand that you are a child of God when you suffer because you get his heart for this world. You get your, his heart for a broken world that so desperately needs to be made whole, that needs shalom in our world. Persecution teaches us to be real. It teaches us what is valuable. It connects our heart to what really matters. Second point Joy of persecution creates true faithfulness. And so back to that Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. When we think about faithfulness, we can often think about faithfulness to beliefs. Faithfulness um, 
to uh, ideas, to ideology, faithfulness to um, that kind of theology or that kind of thinking. And I love that Paul calls this out, that true persecution, joy of persecution actually connects you to the person. It connects you not just to an idea, but it makes it a reality. Not just to information or even an experience, but persecution does something to our heart where suddenly I need Jesus. Now, I haven't been persecuted in, in a long, long time. Um, I mean, the only time was growing up in a secular society. And maybe this is the same for America. I didn't grow up, so I don't know. Um, but growing up in a secular world, um, sex before marriage, being a virgin, that was no fun. Um, you had the persecution of people riling against you, knowing that you didn't have sex already at 16 years old, and they would just lay into you, lay into you, lay into you. When I had my first job, um, found out, me and Joe have talked about it, it's almost like you don't really want to talk about it, but eventually it comes into conversation. And suddenly this whole premise of sexuality makes you less than rather than elevated. And so there was something inside of me where I found Jesus. I found Jesus as a real person. I'd grown up in a Christian private school up until 16. I had to transfer for my final two years into normal kind of school, public school life. And it was not easy, can I tell you. Um, People aren't that kind. Um, No matter what you look like or how you act or how good you are at things, there are certain things they just want to rile you on. And so I found the person of Jesus 16 was, as I shared in my podcast, 16 was an extremely transformative. I experienced God in a real way. It was at a a conference. It was like 10,000 young people. I was that kid on the front row, just experiencing the presence of God like never before. It was real. It was tangible. I got a new spiritual tongue. It was like revival had happened in my heart, but it was so necessary for me because what was about to come, I needed to know the person of God. There's a reality that if we will find in our own walks that belief in things or ideas are not enough, And that's why I love that we sang, I want to build my life upon your love. What would be better is, I want to build my life upon Jesus is what we're saying. Because you will find in persecution true faithfulness. Not faithfulness in ideas, but Jesus will become a real person to you. He'll become someone that holds you when you cry. He'll be someone that holds you when people don't understand you. He will hold you in those moments where it feels dark and alone. And that's what I love about Jesus. And it's only in persecution that you begin to find a true person. It's only in persecution, in the suffering, that we really find that he is everything that I need. There's a cool story um, of one of the early fathers, the martyr fathers. His name here um, is Polycarp. Um, There's an amazing story about this man. Uh, He lived roughly around... uh, 70 AD to 160 AD. Um, He was 86 years old when he was killed for following Jesus. One of the earliest recorded martyrs that we have. And his story, you can Google it, so it's a really amazing story, but to save time, just check it out online. Um, But 86 years old, he had followed Jesus. And the Romans had caught wind of who this guy was. Um, He was influential. And they hunted him down, these Roman soldiers. And they found him, and he invited them into the house. 
He offered to cook them food and asked, could I pray uh, before you take me away? And he said, sure, you're an 86-year-old man. You're not going anywhere fast. We can run, uh, right? And so he started to pray, and they listened to him pray, and they're like, how are we taking this man to be killed? It doesn't make sense. And so they let him pray for another hour. And eventually they had to take him, so they took him before the Caesar. And in a stadium full of people, he had to burn incense, saying that Jesus is not Lord, that Caesar is, or this idol is Lord, and Jesus is not. And I love this quote. He says, 86-year-old, I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? I have been his servant. He has done me no wrong. And I love the personhood that he brought into that moment. And the crazy thing is, and this this story actually got circulated around the churches like the gospel letters did. Because what happened next, they set the fire alight and the flames went around him and did not consume him. And so they got a sword and stabbed him to kill him. And they said in the arena that suddenly this sweet incense went around the stadium. And that's what documented said that went around the whole stadium. And so it's these amazing stories that we hear, but I just love that. I've been his servant. It's not been theology. It's not been any other thoughts I've had. I have found a living, breathing personhood, a king that I love, and I'll put my life for him. All this other stuff that you have for me, why would I want to give it up when I have met someone that truly loves me, that understands me, Out of love, we don't deny people. You're married to someone for most in the room, you would put your life down for that person, wouldn't you? Some of you have children, you would lay your life down for that person. So my question for you today is, do you love him? Do you love him? So how do we even prepare for this? And just want to land with two points, not the typical three points, so you're welcome. Um, if you turn just back with me to Matthew chapter 10, of where we've been journeying through this, and just the opening words here that Jesus is teaching. So he's sending out his disciples. He said, I've sent you out in community. I want you to be pure in heart. I want you to make me the main thing because nothing else really matters. The gold, the belt around you isn't going to help you. I'm the personhood that's going to be able to bring about victory in your life. But then he gives these words of, about persecution. He says this word, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Reversal, because suddenly the sheep that Jesus was called to save are now wolves. They were once the sheep of Israel, but now they've become wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Super interesting passage, lots to go into, but don't have time. Interestingly, three animals that we're compared to, sheep, serpents, and doves. So the first two imageries there are nonviolent animals. Uh, Sheep are pretty incapable. Uh, They have no fangs. They have no way of attacking anything. Maybe a mass mount would probably be able to crush you, maybe. (laughs) Like a hundred of them come towards you. Maybe something there. Um, And doves, I haven't noticed any pecking incidences. Like no peck to death by doves lately. And so there's this interesting imagery that Jesus is saying as your character, I want you to be almost nonviolent. I want you to be someone who brings peace. 
Someone that relies on me. But this word to be as a serpent is super confusing. Because instantly we hear this word and we're just like, you want me to be like the devil? Because that's what the connotation is. We go back to Genesis 3. The serpent was the devil who um, brought about confusion, misled Eve and Adam to eat of the fruits. And so we hear those words, or in Scripture, some of you might have shrewd words or wise words. And we hear this negative connotation. But Jesus came to crush the serpent. Jesus is inviting you into bringing light into the world. And so what Jesus is saying here, I'm flipping the narrative. And what was broken in this world, I'm now causing to be light. What the serpent brought about a deceiving word, I want you to bring a truer word. And so my first point here is cultivate a truer word. The weapons of words are powerful. The weapons of words can bring life and they can bring death. And so I believe that what Jesus was saying, when we come into persecution, you need to cultivate a truer word. A word that is truer than what we see in the kingdom of this world. A truth that is mounted in the gospel. A truth that the kingdom of God is at hand. Christians, can I tell you, we have the most amazing opportunity to cultivate a truer word. Regardless of the wars that are happening in Ukraine and Russia, where they spill out into Europe, and we are praying and interceding, that does not happen, amen? Whether there's greater division that happens in the U.S., we have a hope that transcends this world. We have something that this world so desperately needs, but I see Christians just living into fear. And I love that we prayed into that today because God wants you to be a transformer of your world. What would it look like for you to cultivate a truer word? that says, I see, I acknowledge, but I know that there's a truer power. I know the kingdom of God is at hand. And I know that's really hard to live out, but what would it look like for you to maybe not join that Facebook conversation? Maybe those friends who start rowling about the negativity and what happens? Persecution might just simply look and say, but I believe King Jesus has this in hand. I think that would cause some persecution in your life instantly what you believe in that stuff. You still believe in nursery rhymes and all that good stuff. You still believe in Santa. Like, that would actually cause some persecution for you to have a truer word. Some people will be pushed against it. But I believe that other people would see you and say, they always have hope. They've gone through those difficult situations and seasons. For many of you I know who are going through illnesses, who are going through uh, family devastations, what would it look like for you to cultivate a truer word? What would that look like for you here today? Just carry on reading this passage. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Isn't that beautiful that your witness, your truer word, will invite you into places of influence? And you will be a witness to those around you. And when they deliver you over, super encouraging again, Jesus. It's like just when, you're gonna, when they're going to deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So my last point, reliance on Him. 
And if I could summarize all of this message is really a reliance on him. Remember, spiritual formation is not about just cutting out the stuff that's bad in your life, but you actually finding and building your life upon a person of Jesus Christ. That our reliance on him, not your words, not what you believe, but actually trusting in him into something truer. And so I would tell you today, what's your reliance like on him? Do you trust him? Because if you don't trust him here and now, when things change and shift, and maybe we are, I don't know, I'm not God, but maybe if we are going to go into a time of persecution where Christians get pushed more and more to the margins, will you trust him? Will you say that, God, you are Lord? Because again, a lot of us have fear. Will I, will I confess Jesus as Lord when a gun's put to my head? I don't know if you think about that. Sometimes I do. Will I be the person that will be able to stand and say, yes, I confess Jesus as Lord? And if we think we can do it in our own strength, we never will be able to. If we're not establishing a trust inside of us that says, Jesus Lord, because I know him, because I know the personhood of Jesus, if we're not cultivating that, then it's going to be really difficult for us. Jesus doesn't judge or anything like that. But I want us to be a resilient Christians. Sometimes it's the fear of the opinions of others that's the greatest persecution in our world, right? The fear of what others will think in your job situation. You know, to climb the corporate ladder means that sometimes you have to go against your ethics and moralities to make sure you climb. And Jesus is saying, will you sacrifice that method and will you live for my morality? Will you skip that job promotion because Jesus is Lord of your life and he will take care of you? Or will you bow down to the systems and the things of the other? Rely on Jesus, not the world. And whose voice is loudest in your ear right now? Is it God or is it the frameworks of this world? These are amazing questions that I'm asking myself, right? I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at myself right now. These are real questions that I'm asking of myself. Where have we softened in our love for Jesus? Where in my heart has my loyalty been shifted away from Jesus? Where has it been overrided by my vision, my dreams of what I think's right? And where do I need to shift that? Remember, we're going to repent in a moment. We're going to turn our thinking and we're going to turn it back to Jesus. Because if we don't start this conversation now, you'll just see tons of people shift away. There are genuine people throughout history who have given their lives over and over and over again, who have been beaten, who have been separated from their families because they believe Jesus is Lord. And we're not invited into that moment yet. And Lord, I pray it never does. But comfortability creates a heart which is not for God. Into my own insecurity, my things. And I'll just finish with this today. I was reflecting on this. Um, It's not about your strength overcoming any of this, but it's about his. But as a Christian, you have a different nationality. You have a different nationality. And I'm reminded every single day when I meet someone new that I'm different. Um, where are you from? (laughs) And I often reply, it's a strange Pittsburgh dialect, and they have a good chuckle, and then they try and guess where they're from, and they say Australia, and say, you're so far wrong. Um, You know, and I say I'm from the UK, but I'm reminded, even though I have a US passport and I have nationality here, I'm reminded that I live of a different world. 
I'm reminded that my words sound different to everybody else. And I wonder, as the challenge we have today, do your words sound different? Does your life sound different? Is Jesus Lord of your life? And this is a question that we, if we want to be transformers of our world, we have an amazing opportunity, church, to show the light and the life of Jesus. And it's not in your own strength. It's not in your abilities. But it's in the gospel. In this word that we consume on a daily basis, it's upon the Holy Spirit's inside of us that empowers us to be transformers in our world. Amen? Let's pray.